So those three mm. traits, I think, is what creates um, success for somebody with a disability. And, and as I said in the TED Talk, I'm pretty sure that if other people thought about it that way, they could make it work for them. Because it's not that you need a disability. It's that, right. it's that after a certain age, every single human being has had some challenge or setback or something, whether it's mm -hmm. in a relationship or, you know, a, a, a parent or a grandparent that you were close to dies, whatever, something is going to happen. And then yeah. you can, can you channel that into, all right, you know, I'm going to be disciplined and I, and I've got, you know, I, I can't be too uh, arrogant and I got to, you know, work at things. I am so excited to be speaking at the Conscious Investor Growth Summit, March 8th through the 10th, out in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. It's going to be an amazing event. I'm so honored to be speaking alongside 20 plus amazing other speakers. And we're going to be deep diving into health, wealth, and mindset. You do not want to miss this event. Make sure that you find your way there. Also, use the code ERIC, E-R-I-K, for 50% off your ticket. I hope to see you there. Keep changing the world. Jotha, you're a husband, you're a father, you're a two-time cancer survivor, TEDx speaker, author of multiple books. You're the founder of Who Says I Can't Foundation and reality TV show, and an incorrigible entrepreneur who has founded eight startups, including your latest company, Dover Microsystems. You're an athlete, so much more. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to be here, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be getting to know you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So excited to get into your story, man. I've been watching your, your TEDx video and learning more about you and, and your story is absolutely unbelievable. I like to kick the show off by going back a bit. Where did you grow up and what was childhood like for you? <laughs> I, I grew up in Detroit. Okay. Um, a suburb of Detroit. Detroit's kind of a, 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 a funny city. You know, they number the streets um, from how far you are from the river. And so okay. in, in, in people who, who, come from the area, you'll say, yeah, I grew up on 13 mile and telegraph and, and they know exactly where that is. <laughs> so I grew up on 13 mile road, okay. the city limit of Detroit, as Eminem might've, you know, explained is eight mile. Right. Okay. So, but it goes out to 26 mile road and wow. they're still just numbered. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of a normal act somewhat active, um, kid, um, played neighborhood sports. And, and then finally, when I got to junior high, I, um, I, I played the viola and then I got harassed for that. And that wow. made me quit. And I, mm -hmm. um, and I joined the swim team and I was, I was actually, it turns out I had an aptitude for it and I was doing pretty well at it. But when I, and then my, Right between junior high and high school, my parents moved across town, same school district, but across town. So okay. everybody I went to school with was going to a different high school than me. Mm. And that is normally a drag, <clears throat> but it was going to be especially a big drag when, you know, I tell you what happened next is that, so I was a, a, a junior in high school and it was October in Michigan. So already kind of cool outside. So we had gym class inside and okay. the activity was jumping rope, which I love to do. Mm -hmm. And in midair, my right knee locked 
and wouldn't straighten. And I just collapsed or, you know, came down in a pile uh, on the mats and screaming in, in agony. They called my dad, who's a surgeon. Um, the problem with parents that are doctors is they think they can diagnose what's wrong with you. So he yeah. examines the knee and he goes, oh, you know, big guys hurt their knees all the time. I'm just going to wrap it with an ace bandage and you'll be fine and take it easy. Cool. It's really hard to take it easy when you're 15, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when your older brother, my older brother comes along and he, he knows that I was told to take it easy. So he hits me and runs thinking that I'm, I'm going to listen to the directions and I'm not going to chase after him. But I had to chase after him and get right. him back. Anyway, I would, you know, then I heard it again and my dad would say, hey, you know, really mean it. Take it easy. And by the, you know, by that next time, so it got worse each time. By the next time, now it was, it was December, he said, something's not right here. And they took me in to, to have it checked out. And they did a biopsy and they said, you're not going home. It's an emergency. We're amputating your right leg tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. Whoa. And so that was tough. Yeah, yeah, that was very tough. And what made it tougher was that back then, it's harder to for us to to remember back then because this was 1973. Okay. And first of all, people, some people thought you could catch cancer from somebody. And so when they made this announcement to my school, no one came to visit me in the hospital. And in fact, when I went back to school, None of them ever had anything to do with me ever again. It was, wow. it just kept. And then the other thing that made it worse was that all these people I would ask, well, am I going to be able to ski? Am I going to be able to swim? Mm -hmm. And they would say, no, you can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. Which is why I came up with who says I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was tough. And when I, and the, the sort of final part of this story is that, yeah. When I went back to um, high school, they didn't fit you with a prosthesis right away back then. They do now. They, they understand it's, it's good for you to, to do that. And I was on crutches. And like most high schools, there's this main hall. And between classes, it's packed wall to wall with kids. And I come along and I'm crutching along. And, and people are jumping over each other to get out of my way like I'm parting the, the waters of the Red Sea. Wow. And it was, I mean, it was just um, a, a very tough, uh, tough thing to go through. Man, I, I can't imagine being in that position. But what was your mindset? And like, how, how did that affect your friends, your friendship? Like at that time, like, you know, the, you're partying the Red Seas, you're walking through this hallway, but like the friends, the folks that you considered your friends, like, how did that affect that? And, and then what was your mindset in that process or in that time? Well, my friends just essentially vanished. And it, and it's not like, I think if I'd been at the other high school and all of my friends from junior high were there, I think yeah. it would have been different. But mm -hmm. these were people who, you know, only known me for a little while. And, sure. and, and, you know, they've, everybody forms clicks when you get to high school and everybody from one junior high has, has got a click and another junior high. And then, Crossing that, you had the, you, you had the uh, the jocks and the greasers, and you know you had totally. And I wasn't I wasn't really part of any um, any group, mm -hmm. and um, and so um, I kind of stayed, you know, kept to myself. 
out of necessity. Yeah. My parents did get me a car, which was really helpful because we were about two miles from the school. And, and um, prior to that, and this is another thing that people nowadays just can't imagine, even though there was a bus, the way in which I got to school all of my freshman, sophomore year was hitchhiking every day, every wow. single day. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and, I mean, it's just, and it was easy. You just, yeah. you stuck out your thumb and somebody opened their car door because that, you know, these, these were kids getting back and forth to school. Right. But, um, but anyway, with the car, it was a lot easier. I could, cause there's a lot of pain when you had an amputation like that. Sure. And so I would, I would, I had permission to, you know, leave school whenever I, I, I needed to, or, and so I, I, um, I, I kept to myself and it kind of made me study more because it was like, well, nothing else to do. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of was into math, which is weird, but I was, and it turned out good for me later That's uh, awesome. to, to, to do that. Wow. And when you're 19, you ended up having a lung removed as well too, right? Like what happened with that? Well, so I got into this, the school I wanted to, um, yeah. my first choice school for college. It's a little tiny school that most people haven't heard of. It's smaller than my high school was. It's wow. in the western part of Michigan, and it's called Kalamazoo, okay. Michigan. Kalamazoo <laughs> College in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. And um, and I was there, and one of the things that they said at the time of the amputation was, and the reason it was an emergency, was that the the cancer, the type of cancer, is very aggressive and gets into the bloodstream, and then can spread easily. You know, it's wow. called metastasize when cancer spreads. Yeah. And so they were very worried about that. And they, and they said I had to come in for a chest X-ray and, um, and some other tests every six months. Now, when you're 19, you think you're, um, even after this happens to you, you still think you're immortal. You know, you just don't, <laughs> you're not going to be thinking about death. Okay. Right. And yeah. so I, I only kind of did it went went on these to these checkups because otherwise my parents were going to be all upset and and yelling at me. So that was sure. the only reason I did it. I didn't yeah. do it because I thought I really needed it. I thought it was a bunch of bull. Mm -hmm. Um but in that junior year when I was at uh home for Christmas, I had scheduled having wisdom teeth out on one side. Um, I was eventually going to need them on the other side and yeah. that same, because you had to do that in the hospital, that same visit, I had the chest x-ray done. So I'm, mm. I'm down, you know, a few floors down, I'm in the chair, the, the dentist chair and, um, and somebody comes bursting into the room and says, Oh, glad you're still here. And I was still actually a little bit woozy from some, you know, numbing and everything that they had done. Sure. And the person said, you're not to go home. You're being admitted to the hospital. And wow. the cancer is spread. And then it was, it was like, oh, my God, three years later, it's happening again. Hmm. And, um, and it, was, it was worse in a lot of ways, you know, because now, sure. now I was scared mm -hmm. because where, where else was it spreading? Right. But, yeah, I had to have my left lung out, um, the next morning. And I was sort of an old hand at this now, 
you know, mm. okay, get, you know, I know what <laughs> anesthesia is like. I, I woke up and I was, you know, in recovery and, and then the, the, the doctor comes to the, to the, uh, to the room and he says, okay, so this is going to hurt a lot on this side. And, um, you know, you're not going to be able to raise your arm. You know, it's going to be really, I said, you mean like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. At which point he thought I was a, a lunatic. Sure. <laughs> wow. And how are you today? Like, how is the cancer? Is it gone or, or are you still? Yeah, it's totally gone. So it's, it's, it's been 50 years. Come so on. that's awesome, man. Literally after, literally after they, um, th you know, that, that surgery, yeah. um, they say, well, then, then I had a year of chemo. Chemo mm -hmm. did not exist when I had my leg amputation. It really okay. had been invented in the three years. And by the time I had the lung, it had been developed. I shouldn't say invented, developed. And they yeah. put me on it. Um, okay. But the doctor uh, say, says to me, okay, we're, this is brand new, this chemo, and, and we think it, it might work, but we're not sure. And um, what has just happened to you, no one has ever survived, which is true. Once it wow. spread back then to the lung, it was curtains for 100% of the, of the people. Wow. So my 19 year old brain heard you're going to die. Yeah. And it's, and so the, I, I, I went through the chemo, all my hair fell out, you know, all that, all that stuff. And, um, and I was absolutely determined to prove everyone wrong who had been saying, can't, you can't ski, can't do this. And so when the chemo was over, I decided I was going to quit school I got in my Ford Maverick and I drove to Alta, Utah, 32 hours. And I just basically sat on the doorstep of this lodge. I had, we'd been there as a family that I knew about. And okay. I basically said, I'm not leaving until you hire me as a ski bum. Wow. Except that it took three weeks before they <laughs> hired me. So <laughs> I almost ran out of money, um, sure. but they did hire me. And, <laughs> and, awesome. um, and it was a phenomenal deal. So yeah. um, you got, as a, as a ski bum, you got, you had to do a job. But the job I had was um, washing pots and pans, which is an evening job. So the, it, most of the ski bums had to come in in the middle of the day and do some job like waiting tables for breakfast or lunch or yeah. setting up it for dinner. Um, no, I didn't have to report for, for duty until 6.30 and I worked till 9.30. And so, but then you get room and board and a, um, a free lift pass and a hundred dollars a month spending money, which I spent wow. all on beer. Um, <laughs> cause, cause they didn't do free beer. Um, sure. yeah. and I skied a hundred days straight. I didn't ever take wow. a day off. I was, well, I'm kind of a maniacal person, but this may be more maniacal. And, okay. and the whole goal was to get so good at skiing on one ski. With these little outriggers, you know, these are like um, forearm crutches with ski tips on the ends. Okay. And to get so good at skiing like that, that nobody ever says, oh, you're, you're good considering, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I got to be uh, able to ski everything at, at Alta, double black diamond runs, 
um, steep bumps, powder, you know, and then it got to be April and the snow melted and I wasn't dead. And I had no idea what to do now. <laughs> so so not, not that this is a very good uh, thought process, but I said, well, I can't think of anything better to do. I'm going to go back and finish college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. And then, and then I, and then, which by the way, was one of these early schools to have foreign study. So I get home, I go to one, it was a quarter system school. So 10 yeah. week quarters. And you did three of them a year. So I went to one quarter. Then I was eligible for two quarters of foreign study. So I went to France, where I basically went to classes three days a week. And every weekend was a four-day weekend because I was allowed to have a car over there. And no one else was. <laughs> so I just was driving all over Europe, having, you know, skiing in the, in the winter and and drinking wine and, and having a blast. And, um, and then I, and then I came back afterwards and had one final quarter and I was done because I had enough cred credits to graduate. Yeah. Wow. What a cool experience. I mean, and you ended up speaking at the TEDx Paris. It was such a good talk. One of the things you talked about, though, was this triple package of traits, insecurity, exceptional, exceptionalism, and discipline. And that was really kind of piqued my interest there. But can you deep dive into those three? And what do those three mean? So it was, a, it was one of those things where it took a, lot, a long time of sort of self-reflection on, okay, how did – I started to observe that, yes, I was starting to – you know, excel at some things and, and do better than, and I call you guys two leggers. I mean sure. it with mo <laughs> utmost respect. Yeah. So, you know, I was, a I was a better skier than, you know, probably 80% or 90% of the two leggers on the mountain. And, and I, but then I started to find out about other people who had a, a disability and were, you know, amazing overachievers, Jack Nicholas mm -hmm. in golf. Joni Mitchell, Alan Alda, I mean, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, of course, and yeah. lots and lots of people I was starting to get to know. Wow. And, and, and one of the things that I, I, I realized is that, well, there's a, there's a base set feeling of, of insecurity because of, with a disability, because you don't ever get, doesn't matter how good you get at something like skiing, you, you don't get to forget you, that you have a disability. You get up in the middle of the night and you got to grab crutches to go to the bathroom. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't wear your prosthetic leg all the time. Um, and even when you do wear your prosthetic leg, especially in the old days before the legs got fancy, amputees fall on average of once a week. So there's, there's wow. this, this sense of um, a little bit of insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of the opposite of, of, um, hubris. I mean, it's, it's, it's being humble. Um, it's not, it's not really being fearful all the time. It's, but it's being, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm good at skiing, but you know, when I get down at the bottom, um, I got to take the leg off, take the, 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 you know, ski off and I've got to walk in on crutches, you know, and, and, and so, and, you know, it's hard to open the door with those, those crutches. Sure. And so there's a constant sense of, oh, you know, don't get too, don't, 
don't get too hoity-toity, right? Yeah. So, so that's the insecurity. But you work hard at something. Like I did 100 days, you know, skiing. And, and then since then, you know, I've become a competitive open water swimmer. And I've biked from Boston to New York on one leg four, four times. Wow. And you, you, you feel like, wow, you know, yeah, that was really good. So yeah. you start to feel this sense of, of exceptionalism because you do a little, you, you set a little goal and you achieve it and you set another one and you achieve it. And it's like, and you just keep working hard, but the, 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 you always have the combination of insecurity and exceptionalism. And, and that kind of keeps driving you forward because mm. it's like, you're never feeling arrogant because you've got this base insecurity, yep. but you do feel pretty proud of what you accomplish. And the sort of the, the, the thing that I then re realized was sort of helpful to me. And I, and I've talked to other people with disabilities, which is this discipline, you know, mm -hmm. just, um, which come, which you come by naturally with, with what, you know, we've gone through. Right. So those mm -hmm. three traits I think is what creates, um, success for somebody with a disability. And, and as I said in the Ted talk, I'm pretty sure that if other people thought about it that way, they could make it work for them because it's not that you need a disability. It's that right. it's that after a certain age, every single human being has had some challenge or setback or something, whether it's mm -hmm. in a relationship or, you know, a, a, a parent or a grandparent that you were close to dies, whatever, something is going to happen. And then yeah. you can, can you channel that into, all right, you know, I'm going to be disciplined and I, and I've got, you know, I, I can't be too uh, arrogant and I got to, you know, work at things. Hey, this is a quick shout out from one of our awesome sponsors. Check this out. Thank you to Tracy down at Tranquil Turn Massage in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Look, my wife and I, we see Tracy and her team every single month for a couple's massage, and it is the best thing. Tracy is a master massage specialist and a Hanu Ashiatsu trainer. You need to reach out to Tracy and her team. Make sure that you tell them that I sent you, and you'll get 25 bucks off your next massage. Also, while you're there, check out CDA Brows, Body, and Ink. Make sure to tell Tracy that I sent you, and you'll save 100 bucks on your next tattoo brows and plasma tightening services. I want to get into your foundation here. It's called Who Says I Can't? It's absolutely an amazing foundation, but for those who don't know, like, what's the mission of this foundation and how can folks get involved with you on this? So it is called who says I can't. And, um, it's at who says I can't.org. Um, I started it in 2014. Um, you know, I got to a certain age and I started to realize, Oh, I, 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 have learned a lot and maybe I can, uh, help people going through something similar. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a book called Who Says I Can't. That's sort of where this started. Yeah. And the and the book is a book that would have helped me when I was going through some of this, when everybody was saying can't. And um, and then the kind of the next step was, oh, well, I can make a nonprofit um, that, and the focus is, um, I realized sports was the key for me because mm -hmm. um, it was something hard. It's these sports are hard for everyone. So they're going to be especially hard, you know, for someone with one leg. Mm -hmm. And, but I'd, I'd use them to rebuild my self-esteem. By the way, that's the, that, that's the longest term uh, thing you lose 
when, mm. when you have a disability, um, especially with people pushing back on you and pushing you down, you know, you can't do things. Yeah. It's your self-esteem and, you, and humans, we all have to have strong self-esteem to survive. So Absolutely. I wanted, the focus of the foundation is help kids who've become disabled, rebuild their self-esteem by enabling them to get into a sport. And that usually involves, and that all, it always involves us getting them some sort of adaptive equipment. Mm. And the most common is because, you know, it's it, a lot of, a lot of it is, is people with uh, amputations above or below knee is um, people want to do a sport like running or snowboarding. So most recent person we helped was a 10 year old. Um, her name is Emma and she was born without a right leg. Okay. And, and she didn't know any different. She just grew up like that. And, and she became an amazing hopper. She, she didn't like crutches very much. And she found her prosthetic for walking around. Um, not as not, she didn't feel as free as she did just hopping. Yeah. But she never thought about running until in her gym class in uh, fourth grade, she started to get left, left out of things. Mm. And that felt bad for the first time. But she, her parents didn't have the wherewithal uh, to, to pay for a running leg. And luckily, they and we and the foundation got put together by the place, same place that I go for my prosthetics, she was going. She was going there for walking legs and insurance pays for walking legs. They don't pay for a running leg. So no one ever brought it up to her, but mm. she started to kind of bemoan that she couldn't run in, in gym class. So we went from uh, first meeting in, um, in, Mar in March of, of last year. And within two months, we had her fitted out with a, a new, a running leg. And we expected her to have to have a month or more of, of like trying it and training and everything. Cause she was an above knee amputee. So this is not a situation where you, you, you aren't going to fall if you make sure. a mistake, like if you have your own real knee and if she made yeah. a mistake, she was going to fall and then she'd have a, a psychological setback. Sure. Well, I I've got video of us delivering the leg to her in the, in the prosthetic shop, her putting it on, and and then us suggesting she goes inside the parallel bars to to try it, and she said no, and she just took <laughs> off and ran. Come on. <laughs> and and then she's got here's a ten year old kid who's got the presence of mind to say, this has changed my life, mm. and that is why I do this. <laughs> yeah, man. What a cool story, man. And Emma, I mean, power to her, man. That's awesome that she's out there and just stepped right into it. And oh man, so good to hear those stories. I mean, you've been very successful as an entrepreneur and uh, you know, you, your new book, Think Like a Tech Founder, Anecdotes of an Incorrigible Entrepreneur is the name of this book that drops in March. What can readers expect out of this book? And, and having written previous books, like what did you do differently when you're writing this one? So the way I thought about this one is that I wrote Who Says I Can't as a memoir, yeah. uh, and it's sort of telling, giving back as much as I can in that personal part of my life. And then after doing 35 years and uh, all these startups, 
I, I learned, by the way, I, I probably the same as everybody. I learned the most from the mistakes I've made mm -hmm. and I made quite a few, some on each startup. I mean, sure. yeah, some things I did right, but I also made some mistakes. So um, what I decided was I'm not going to go write a, an entrepreneur book like most of them out there where your people are talking about, oh, this you know amazing thing I've accomplished. And, you know, I had a, you know, this amazing exit and all this money. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote it in a first person, kind of like a memoir, except a memoir of my startup business career. Okay. And um, it, it, it's like, there's a chapter on the good, the bad, and the ugly of startup boards of directors, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, 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 it's lighthearted and, and fun, but some, some of the messages are serious because, it, you know, it's startups are so fragile. And if, if you make a mistake, you, you know, you, you could run out of cash and then it's over. Right. Yep. So um, it's just, it was a labor of love. Okay. And what I'm going to do to try to support the book, I mean, it is being published by a traditional publisher, but um, they don't have, you know, tons and tons of marketing dollars either. Sure. So um, I'm going to try to do some, some speaking, um, you know, give keynotes here and there. I'm going to yeah. start um, my own podcast. Um, I, I only hope someday to do as well as you <laughs> do oh, on, nice. on yours. Mine's, yeah. mine's going to be called Grit. Yeah, um, I love it. And, and it's about, um, you know, we, we talk about startups taking grit and that yeah. startup founders have grit. Um, but of course, I, I believe that people with disability have grit. So mm -hmm. it, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of a, of a connection there. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, I'm going to uh, try to launch my podcast in um, probably late March. Okay. Man, I'm excited for that. I think uh, podcasting for me, it's, it's, I love the aspect of relationship building and networking collaborations that come out of it and just the impact that it does. And for me, I also look at uh, podcasting as a legacy thing. Like I wish that I could go back three, four generations deep and hear my great grandfather's voice and hear his stories from him, but I can't, but I could do that for future generations on my tribe. And it's all through this podcasting thing that allows me to do that. So I love that you're launching a podcast. I'm excited to hear that. And people definitely need to go out and listen to that. Now, your journey involves like you, you've worn a ton of hats from athlete to entrepreneur to speaker to being a family man. You know, what's helped you stay authentic and true to yourself across these roles? And, and why is being authentic so important to become the person that we're meant to be? Well, yeah, I, it, it's kind of a, wouldn't you say it's sort of a synonym to uh, honesty? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, it's more work to not be honest. Yes. I think. Yep. And um, so, you, you know, you, you can't kid yourself or lie to yourself. Um, it's too tiring to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think maybe it's also back to this sort of, sort of um, thing where I'm anti-arrogance, um, which is, you know, what I was saying earlier about, you know, this insecurity that's sort of baseline. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in this business, speaking and podcasting, you hear people talk about imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and you get that sometimes if you don't think you're quite ready or quite worthy of, of doing it and, and you have to just 
talk yourself into it. But it's, it's to me, it's similar to this, uh, you know, idea of, all right, am I, am I being completely authentic and completely honest? Mm-hmm. And then if, if I am, then I don't think you get the imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. Come on. That's awesome. I, I was watching your TEDx video and you had mentioned in the video and you showed a, cl- a clip of it, but you were able to dance with her, your daughter at her wedding. Like, what was that <laughs> feeling like for you? Well, it, it, it was amazing, but I have to tell you a funny story. So in yeah. college, freshman year, no one knew me and that was a good thing. So no okay. one knew me. Um, I was walking around with a prosthetic leg. So, uh, you know, yes, I limped, but people, you know, didn't ask why. And, and so um, I, I got into this weird mode where I asked a complete stranger walking across the quad out on a date. Okay. So it turns out that in 10 weeks, I asked 40 different women out for a week for 10 weeks. Whoa. And the, the goal was to dance. I, and yeah. I was terrible at, at dancing with these simple mechanical knee prostheses, because mm-hmm. if you lean back and did anything where you came down and your, and your leg wasn't completely straight and locked, you went down. So mm-hmm. what happened was I would, I would ask a girl out, we'd go out to dinner. For some reason, I thought, you know, we had to have dinner if we were going to dance. So it cost me a lot of money. Okay. And, <laughs> and I'd ask her to dance. We'd go up onto the dance floor and we'd dance for a little while and then boom, I would fall right on her feet. Mm-hmm. And then, and we, we weren't drinking, uh, I mean, a beer or so, but we weren't, yeah. it wasn't that I was drunk. It was, that, but she didn't know why I fell. Okay. So I would say, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Let's just keep going. Usually by the third time I fell, she would say, we're going home. Okay. And so all, all those years later, um, I was now at that, at that point that my daughter was, was getting married. I was wearing these, um, $80,000 bionic legs that have a microprocessor in the knee and they have an accelerometer that can tell if the knee is, is, is flexing too fast, meaning you're falling. Yeah. And it, um, it closes a valve on a hydraulic cylinder and it's just amazing. Wow. So we were all set. We were, and I said, okay, Joanna, we got to start practicing though, because I'm going to be up there and you're a phenomenal dancer and, and I'm an okay dancer. Yeah. And, and I want to make sure that, you know, we, we, we do it right. And we look great. And, and then <laughs> my, she's got a, a good sense of humor. She decided to pick the Genesis song. I can't dance as okay. the, as the, as the song we would <laughs> dance to. That's awesome. So, so, and and it and she she decided to have it be special extra tricky. It was some slow dance thing where we're okay. just kind of heart you know heartily moving, and then all of yeah. a sudden it flips into Genesis. You know, I can't dance, and um and so people went nuts because yeah. you know they they most people there knew, and and um and it was it was just an amazing feeling. It's always an amazing feeling. I'm sure. I only have one daughter, so this was my only experience. But I can imagine. It's an amazing experience always for a father to dance with his yeah. daughter at her, at her wedding. So oh, yeah. it was amazing. What a cool thing. My, my daughter will be 14 here in just a couple of weeks. And uh, though she's not married, we've, we've done this daddy daughter dance every year for like the last six years in a row. And it's been cool to just 
go out and just her and I, we, she loves red lobster. So we go to red lobster every year. And so, you know, we just have this red lobster and then we go dance and we have fun for a couple hours. It's just make some awesome memories there. Not, you so don't cool. dance at red lobster though, right? No, not yet. No, but we show up fancy. <laughs> so yeah, she's got her big fancy dress on and I've got my, you know, suit on and things like that. So yeah, it's a, it makes for a fun night for sure. Uh, it's been cool to see all the photos of her growing up over the years, uh, you well, know, each year. When her, her wedding, which hopefully is about, you know, at least more, 10 more years or more. From yeah, now, for sure. <laughs> you, you guys will be well practiced. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so f- throughout your journey of, of life as an entrepreneur, as a speaker, and, and just impacting lives through your foundation, they're like, what are you most proud of? Actually, that's pretty easy to answer. It, mm-hmm. The feeling of helping kids who are disabled mm-hmm. is kind of beyond uh, belief. Um, and it is, it's a very emotional experience for me. And, I'm, you know, honestly, uh, you know, doing things with Emma, you know, brings tears to my eyes. It's just, Mm -hmm. and now, um, so, so in past years we've helped, we've, we've only had the resources to help one or two kids. Okay. So this year, 2024, we're already lined up to help four. Okay. And we're helping we're helping one who um, who had the same kind of cancer as me, but she's only 21. And and what they do now. So for me, of course, you know, they amputate the, the, the cancers in the knee, in the bone in the knee, and they amputate above that. So you're an above knee, you know, amputee. You don't have a knee, you know, that's extra hard. And and it means everything to have a knee. Well, Maya um, had the same kind of cancer, but now what they do is they cut above it and they cut below it. They take the lower leg, they bring it up, they rotate it 180 degrees and reattach it. And they line it up so that the heel is where your kneecap would be. And if you're under the age of 15, humans can rewire their brain to use a backward facing ankle as their new knee. And that's the kind of uh, amputation she has. She had okay. the procedure done quite a few years ago. Yeah. And, and she also wants to run. So we're mm-hmm. going to help her. We have to, um, Emma is growing. One of the things that we commit to people is, well, we're working with kids and we're not going to leave them in the lurch when they grow out of a, of a leg. Right. You know, and they get all excited that they, they got to run and then suddenly, well, they can't run anymore. We're not going right. to do that. So we'll, we'll have, we already have to get Emma, um, a new socket for her. And then I've got two people that are, well, they're not, you know, they're not young kids, but they're, they're young adults and they're both accomplished, uh, snowboarders with below knee amputation. So in other words, they have a knee, but they don't have an ankle or a foot and they're both, um, eligible for the Paralympics in snowboarding but they have yeah. to have these super special feet. So we're getting two of these super special feet for these two snowboarders that are um, uh, w- working hard to try to get into uh, the Paralympics. Which So this is a year of the Summer Olympics, 2024. Yeah. And so in two years will be the next Winter Olympics. Okay, okay. Man, so cool. Uh, Jothi, I love this conversation. I love what you're doing, your foundation. 
is absolutely changing lives and, and impacting people. And I just know that you're doing an amazing job and you're an absolute world changer. I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for, for everything that you do. Well, thank you, Eric. And thank you for having me on. Um, it's, you know, I, you're a, a very accomplished and a very successful podcaster. And so it's, it's a it's super, super treat to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you so much for checking out the show today. I really appreciate it. I hope that my guest was able to bring you some amazing wisdom and knowledge to help you continue to fight for your goals, your dreams, and your purpose. If you could do me one big favor and just hit that subscribe button, I would so appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Keep changing the world. I believe in you. Have an amazing day.